following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at stephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Thus says the Lord, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth through the preaching of his word, which begins with prayer. Let us pray together. O gracious Heavenly Father, we do take a moment to reflect on our passage today. To think about how glorious and wonderful you are. Oh, to ponder on how you have turned our lives upside down. Yes, Lord, how you have given us your divine word who was manifested as a human. O most glorious one, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are continually drawing nearer and nearer to you. Open our hearts and minds so that we can hear you speak to us. Yes, Lord, we know that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. In Christ we pray, amen. Please be seated. Let me be the first, or one of the first, to wish everybody here Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's 2024. Can you believe it? Listen, I have a confession to make. I said, I'm up here. I'm going to make a confession to, to you. I'm starting to worry about myself because every time I turn around, it's a new year. Every time I turn around, it's happy new year. It seems like we just went through this the other day. That The years are rapidly coming and going and coming and going. What does that mean? I hate to ponder on what that might mean. See, I remember when I was in the second grade, long time ago, in the second grade, I remember my teacher, Mrs. Brown, telling the whole class after we returned from Christmas break, she told the whole class, she says, it's, I'm going to say the year, so don't be shocked. She, she said, it's 1966. <sighs> Happy New Year. And as uh, he goes, now, boys and girls, when you write your name and put the date on the paper, on any papers, don't forget to put 1966 on the paper. It's not 1965 anymore. It's 1966. So I tell you the same thing. When you write your name anywhere and put the year, don't forget to put the year 1966. I mean, 2024. 2024. You know what that brings when every time a new year comes, we always make what these new year's resolutions, right? These resolutions to commit to something. I do them every year and I fail every year. Just It's just so hard, right? We think about, okay, I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to work out. You know, I got that gym at Gold's Gym. I'm going to go three times a week, four times a week. You know, all that. I'm going to cut back on candy. Come on, you, you're, you're thinking about it right now. What you're going to do, what you're going to commit to 
for the new year. Everybody does it. We all do it. But we dread it because it takes it takes work. It takes a commitment. It takes a discipline to stay with it. I have a New Year's resolution that I want you to commit to. Now, bear with me. I want you to commit to this. I want you to commit to loving Jesus. Commit to loving Jesus. Now, mind you, listen to what I'm saying. And it pertains to our passage. I want you to commit to loving Jesus more than you do at this very moment, meaning your love for him will continue to grow. To commit to loving Jesus more and more each day as you live your life. How can that be accomplished? How do you accomplish something like that? Well, that's what our passage is about today. That's what it's about. Listen, my dear friends, we're living in an extremely, extremely tough times. We're, we're, leaving, we're living in a time where we're, where we're told by society, by the world, to be who you are. Nothing wrong with it. Be who you are. That's just who you are. Regardless of how sinful it might be, that's just who you are. Just be who you are. We're living in a world where anything goes. Anything goes. What was once considered good is bad. And what was once bad is good. What was once considered right may not be right. It could be wrong. And what was once considered wrong could be right, depending on you, who you are. Anything goes. I want to read a, a, some verses from a song. You may remember it. Some of you may remember the song that, that, that you may recognize. And it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, okay? I'm going to read it. <laughs> okay. It says, Times have changed, and we're often, and we've often rewounded the clock since the Puritans got a shock when they landed on Plymouth Rock. If today any shock they should try to stem, instead of landing on Plymouth Rock, Plymouth Rock would land on them. And what he's trying to say there in this part of his song is that if the people that came over to this world, this eventually came to this nation back in 1620, if those people, those pilgrims who were trying to, to, to obtain religious freedom were to come to this world today, it would be like Plymouth Rock landing on them rather than them landing on Plymouth Rock because the, the world is so strange. It's so different. It's so corrupt. Now, the song goes on to say, anything goes. Anything goes. The world has gone mad today, and good's bad today, and black is white today, and day is night today. It ends by saying, anything goes, anything goes. I want you to know that the name of that song is Anything Goes. 
which is a part of a musical play by the same name, Anything Goes. Now, it was composed and written by a man named Cole Porter back in 1934. Back in 1934, they were saying, Anything Goes, Anything Goes. I've read you, I've read you these lyrics, the lyrics of this song, merely to show you that this Anything Goes mentality has been around forever. This anything go mentality, this anything goes worldview has been around in our society and the societies throughout the world, throughout human history. It's always since the fall, it's been like that. When we broke away, when we fell from grace, we started living our lives where anything goes. Anything goes. Our passage today gets to the heart of how we must demonstrate our love for Christ in this anything goes world, in this anything goes society. We must demonstrate our love for Christ in both mind and body, in both awareness and action. To love Christ more and more each day requires discipline. Physical, mental, and spiritual discipline. Each and every day. So that we can be obedient to the Lord's teachings. Right. Listen to the words that Jesus speaks in verse 21. He says this, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He goes on, he says, the one who loves me will be loved by the Father. And I too will love him or her and show myself to him or her. That's incredible. Yeah, just, to, just to take a breath and just think about what that just told us. It's talking about the blessings, the gift that we receive when we're obedient to Christ. When we're obedient to Christ, we're being told that the Father, God the Father will love you. In verse 23, Jesus tells us that you, you Christian, who obey his teaching, teachings, now here it comes, that the Father and the Son will love him and her, and that the Father and the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells here now, that the Holy Trinity will make their home in you. That is like, wow. No, that couldn't be real, Pastor Manny. Okay, it's God's Word. God tells us that. Jesus repeats that several times in this chapter so it can be clearly understood. 
Or you've always wondered, well, why should, I mean, God has saved me. I believe in Jesus Christ. I have received him as Lord and Savior. And I sometimes am obedient to him. And Jesus is telling us now that you don't love me unless you're obedient to me. Obedient to me. And if you are obedient to me, my, my teachings, then God, the Holy Trinity, God himself will love you. And not only will he love you, he will make his abode in you. Oh, God. That is incredible. Those are the promises of God. This is God's word that's, that's coming to us today. We don't need to miss it. Jesus is telling me, telling you, telling us that if we believe in him, we have to demonstrate that. And it's, it's more than in your mind knowing what's right and wrong in your mind. It is followed up by action, by behavior, by being obedient mentally, spiritually, and physically. Now, sometimes we, th we, we run across a, a situation, and, and we, in, in, when we encounter it, we have a desire to do something, and, we, and, it comes, and the Spirit hits us, and we know, God doesn't really want me to do this. But I want to do it. I, I, I want to do it because it's going to make me happy. It's going to make me happy. No, nobody's going to know about it either. Just me. Oh, maybe somebody else. And Jesus loves me. He'll understand. You know what? I'm going to repent too after I do it. That's not the way it works. That's not what Christ wants. He wants you to not only know what his desire is for you, he wants you to do it. To do it. That's discipline. That's work. And you're not working to be saved. You are already saved. And we'll talk about that in just a second. You're already saved. You belong to him. He tells us that if you're obedient like that, he's going to make his abode in you. His love will dwell in you. See, that is an experience all in itself. Have you ever felt the love of God in you? Have you ever felt it? You have. You have. You've known it. Why haven't you allowed it to grow? And we're being told that if we, by God, by Jesus, that if we continue in our obedience to Him, He will continue to dwell in us. He, we will experience His love in us. That's, that's, this is incredible stuff. Hey, for the new year, right? How about something incredible? How about something that is beyond our comprehension, but we're able to do it? And we'll talk about how in just a second, but he's calling us to do it, that he will dwell in us. That's powerful. This is a powerful message. That is, this is the critical idea of our passage. Here it is. Where God's love is, obedience to Christ must follow. If you want God's love to dwell in you, 
Your obedience to Christ must follow. Manny, Pastor Manny, I'm not perfect. I sometimes get attacked by my own desires, by the darts of Satan himself or one of his minions. Well, God answers that. He addresses that in his word. He tells us that we don't live, we're not perfect. We're forgiven, we're saved, but not perfect. So we are called to live a life of repentance and faith. Faith. That's how you continue to be. See, repentance is being obedient. Faith in him, trusted in him. That's obedience. That's obedience. And that's what he's calling us to do. To be obedient is necessary. And we praise God because it leads us to experience. And I cannot overemphasize that. Experience is love. There have been many times when many of you I know have experienced his love. And God says, it's always there. I dwell in you. I love you. But you must be obedient. And that is, that's what takes discipline. That's not, that's not easy. If it was easy, no one would sin. If it was easy, we wouldn't give in to what the world says is okay. You know what? This Bible is old. It, it was written, what, three, 2,000 years ago and beyond, further back than that. Times have changed. Our understanding of Holy Scripture has changed. That's what the world will tell us. But, but Scripture tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same. He never changes. So how can that be? Theologians will tell you that, oh, we have to grow in our, we have to grow in our understanding of a scripture. And, and it has to evolve with humans and human nature and, and, and humanity. That's nonsense. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't change. His word doesn't change. Don't buy in to what the world is saying. Anything goes. Anything goes. Oh, you're okay. Anything goes. You're all right. Those guys are bad. But you're okay. You're okay. Don't let that comfort you. There's no comfort. The only one that can comfort you is the Lord. He comforts you by doing what He calls you to do. And that is to obey Him. Even in repentance, like I said, even in repentance and believing, believing Him. So here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's what we must understand. That is that gets us into the depths, the depths of Scripture, the depths of, of the Holy God. We must understand that the glory of this all begins with God Himself. It is God who saves us. It is God who has saved you. It is God who's taken, who has revealed, who has first revealed Jesus to you. That was God's doing. Yeah, we all heard about Jesus before. Everybody hears about Jesus. I know Jesus. I've heard of Jesus. I know that if we believe him, he, he, he's going to say he's going to forgive our sins and we'll go to heaven. I know that. 
I knew that all my life until I finally knew it. Until God revealed Jesus to me, to you, for who He truly is. It begins with God. God first reveals His Son, Jesus Christ, to us, to Him. And again, we are saved because God has chosen to reveal His Son to us. That's how we're saved. The Bible calls the people who respond to Christ for salvation's sake. The, the Bible calls them God's elect. He calls them the chosen ones that, are, that have been predestined by God before He spoke the universe into existence. That's beyond us. That's beyond us. Try not to understand. I mean, okay, try to understand it. How's that? But you're not. Because He is the Lord and there is no other like Him. You are of the elect. You are of the chosen. But that's the scary part, right? Isn't that the scary part? There are many scary parts in the Bible, okay? But, but this right here, we run into another one. God's Word that we cannot fully understand because we're finite creatures. Is that God does not reveal Jesus to everyone. He doesn't. I don't understand that. I, I don't. I trust Him. But that's hard to understand. That Jesus does not manifest Himself, does not show Himself for salvation's sake to everyone. That is scary. But that's the very question that, that Judas, not Iscariot, this is not Judas Iscariot, this is another Judas, okay? Uh, this is Judas, the son of James. This other Judas, as Luke 6, uh, the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 6, says that this Judas was one, one that Jesus has designated as one of his apostles. So it's this Judas that asked this question. Listen to the question that Judas asked, because it could be the question that we've asked. Here's what Judas asked Jesus. He says, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? That's a great question, right? Don't you think that's a great question? As you ponder how God works, Judas is saying, Lord, why are you going to reveal? Why have you revealed yourself to us and not to the whole world? That is a difficult question, but only God can answer that, right? The reason that Judas asked that question is because for centuries, for centuries, the Jews, the Jews of the first century included, were waiting for the Messiah to show up. They'd been waiting around for the Messiah to show up. The Messiah was prophesied in the Old Testament. So Judas and the other disciples were waiting for that Messiah to show up. They had recognized that Jesus was that Messiah. He was the Messiah. So when Jesus talks about how he will show himself to them, reveal himself to them, and this is talking about after the cross too, because that had not yet happened. When he says that he will reveal himself to them, but he's not going to reveal himself to the whole world. That was confusing to them. Because, see, they thought that the Messiah would show up and globally change everything. 
And that's not God's plan. It is in the end, at the end of the time. He will reveal himself to everyone. But listen, Jesus revealed, Jesus walked this earth. The, the Jewish leaders knew him. They knew who he was. They heard what he said. But he didn't make himself known to them. He didn't reveal, he didn't manifest himself to them. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. They crucified him. But not all of them. There were others that believed him. And that is because God was at work. God is the one who opens our hearts and minds. So they were confused about what all this stuff that was going on. So Jesus in verse 23 and 24 responds to the question by saying, if you whom I have revealed, whom I have shown myself to be the Messiah, if you truly love me, you will obey my teachings. You will obey my teachings. And, and see, he's, they're walking with him. He's teaching them. He's, he's going along and, and opening up Scripture. He's revealing what the Old Testament meant. So he, God is teaching them. Christ is teaching them. If you love me, you will obey my teachings. And if you do that, again, I can't overemphasize this. Jesus says that my Father will love you. And we, that is, Father and Son, will make our home with you, in you, in you, in you. Incredible. Now, this is reference, what he's telling the, the, the disciples is, he's referencing the first part of chapter 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. Remember what it said, I'll read it to you. It says this, at the very first of chapter 14, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that, were, if that was not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, return, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also that you also may be where I am. Jesus continues though. He doesn't stop there. He continues to respond to Judas's question by saying, "Whoever does not love me will not obey my teachings." So if you don't obey his teachings, you don't love him. Now, can you argue with that? I mean, you can't argue with that. It's God's word, okay? But, like, can you think of something that is a sin that you refuse? Uh, can you think of something that God wants you to do, that God has said that you don't want to do, that you won't be obedient to? And there's a lot, right? And he's saying, well, if you... Don't obey me. Maybe you don't love me. You don't love me. But you do love him because he dwells in you. His love dwells in you. But think of the world, okay? Back up and think of the world. Think of everything that's going on in this world right now. Think about what our poor children have to go through in school and what they're being told. Uh, think of how people are telling their children, hey, be who you are. 
Anything goes. If you think that you're, you feel like you're a girl, then you're a girl, son. So I'll call you daughter. I mean, that's what's going on. And the world is teaching them. The school is teaching them. That's okay. That's okay. Just be who you are. And if, if you try to change that parent, that's not good for the child. That is a direct contradiction to God's word. It's a direct contradiction, uh, contradiction to nature. And, and how God has created it. If you do not, who, whoever does not love me will not obey my teachings. There are people like that in this world. That's the reason why Jesus does not, would not, and does not show himself to the world because not everyone in this world loves him. Now, there's a lot of questions, and we don't have time to cover them all, but what we know, there's a lot of questions going around in your head right now, questions about what we're just talking about. But what is clear about what, what, we, what we're seeing in our passage, what is clear is that no one is forced to love God. No one is forced to love God. You will either freely choose to love Him or you're going to freely choose not to love him. You're going to freely choose to love him and be obedient to him. Because you don't want to grieve the person you love the most. How can you grieve this person? And then when it happens, then it does happen. You repent and you, you're, you're there. But you can cho freely choose not, not to love him and, and disobey him. So then the question still remains, how is it that you were chosen? How is it that God chose you? And it wasn't because there's something in you, according to Scripture, there's nothing in you. God finds nothing in you that's worth saving. He just saved you. But how does God do it? Beyond our comprehension. The Scripture tells us that God has chosen you, has predestined you, has made you a part of his people based on the pleasure of his holy will. Just because he decided he was going to do that. Because of his will, he chose to do that. That is beyond us. That's beyond us. But we trust him. We trust him. According to what Jesus is telling us, we demonstrate our love for him by being obedient to Him. Scripture makes it abundantly, abundantly clear that because of sin, we cannot on our own or in our own volition, by our own will, we cannot choose to love Christ unless God has acted on us first, unless God has revealed who Christ is to us. First. So then, in this anything goes world, how do you know that you are saved? How do you know that? How do you know that God has chosen you as one of his elect, as one of his kingdom people? How do you know? Well, the answer is simple. 
And it's simply this. Every believer is saved of that. Every believer is saved. Every believer is a part of God's elect, His chosen. You see, your response to the gift of salvation is to receive it, to believe it, to receive Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You then demonstrate your belief in Him by being obedient to His teachings. It changes. You change. You're born again. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new now lives. That's why somebody can go from being such a sinful person and God saved them to all of a sudden they're changing, they're changed, they're changed. Did they commit those sins? Yes, they did. But they're forgiven blood. God's blood is poured upon them, those sins, and upon Him. Now, what are these teachings that God Jesus is talking about as we start wrapping this up? Well, these teachings that God requires do take discipline. It takes discipline of the, of the mind and body to know, to believe, and to act in obedience to Him. And that also includes repentance. But see, this walk in obedience is going to take us a lifetime. It's called, it's called uh, sanctification. The process of being made holy. That's going to take a lifetime. And we'll be doing it for the rest of your, our lives. That's why for this New Year's resolution, we are committed to loving Christ more and more every day as we walk and walk in spiritual obedience to Him. And not just spiritual, physical obedience, mental obedience. When we get an evil thought in our mind, when we get tempted in our mind, we rebuke it. We call upon God to help us rebuke it. Sin, as you know, as we know, is desirable. There's something there that makes us want to, pulls us to it. And we say, no, that is not being obedient to the Lord. And we call upon Him for His grace to help you rebuke it. Get me away. Get me away from it. By His love. Where God, God's love is, obedience to Christ must follow. Let us pray. Grace is... You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at stephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.